I have a feeling this morning that you're in one of two groups today. Either you're of my generation and older and you understand the historical significance of Billy Graham and his passing. Or it's possible you are here today and you may be my children's age and younger and you may not understand, maybe didn't live through the days of Billy Graham's ministry. Um... I feel like it is my responsibility as a spiritual father to say, I want us to understand the significance of this week. I kind of take that kind of from the Old Testament where it said, and the father will sit him down and say, no, this is why we do this. And so either you have, you understand, or maybe you don't understand I want, you to get the, I want you to get the impact of the life of Billy Graham. Um, I am going to preach this morning, and my scripture is going to be Ephesians 5.19, but be filled with the Spirit. And I want to talk about being filled by the Spirit today. But I also want to interlace in that uh, talking about Billy Graham. Uh, a year ago, December, Amy and I had the privilege of going uh, to North Carolina. We were actually going for Daniel and B.J. Wafer's wedding. And uh, we had several days that we tagged on before the wedding and after the wedding. And we uh, we'd never been to North Carolina, and I love to travel. And so we were going to do some different things. And we saw, we, it was, I mean, it's, it's Dragon First Lady. When, it's, when you're going on vacation with me and we're only there for like 72 hours, it's like, come on, honey. And um, dragging her from place to place and looking at different things. We went to see the Biltmore Estate built by the Vanderbilts in uh, Asheville. And we had some really good food. Yeah, which is what vacation is mostly about. And looking at things in between. Um, we, I mean, we went... If you basketball guys, that was my trip. I went to Duke, and I stood and took a selfie at, Sam, at Cameron Indoor Arena. I went as close as I could to the Dean Dome in North Carolina, which is only about, Melvin, only about nine miles between those two schools, Duke and North Carolina. And um, they were actually having graduation. I couldn't get in and took a selfie at a chain link fence at the Dean Dome. And anyhow, you know. Until they told me, sir, you're going to have to step back from there. Okay, oh, hey, that's cool. But the highlight, the highlight of our touristy things that we did on that trip, without question, was the Billy Graham Library in Charlotte, North Carolina. Hands down. We went one night, it was the holidays, and did some things, and then we went back the last day before we drove to the airport. It's close to the airport. and Hands down, the most impactful, impressive thing that we did in our time in North Carolina was uh, Billy Graham's library, which is you understand, like a presidential library, not a room with books in it, but a, a complex that celebrated his life. Wow. Uh, so impressive. I encourage you, if you've had time, that you go. Um, the pastor will be reading to you today 
and I know I don't normally read. Uh, Billy Graham was saved at 16 years of age. Um, Charlotte, North Carolina, his family owned a dairy farm just outside of town. And there was an evangelist from Oklahoma City named Dr. Mordecai Ham that had come, and he was quite controversial. And people were divided on whether they supported his revival or, or not. And uh, actually, Billy Graham's parents were kind of divided. His father was supportive, his mother was not. And Billy Graham was not saved at the time. And he said he didn't want to have anything to do with that circus that was going on until the day that um, the preacher called out the high school students at his high school for their sin. And uh, at school, there was kind of this reaction. And the high school students talked among themselves. They were going to march into the, to the Dr. Mordecai Ham's revival services and disrupt the service. And Billy Graham decided he would go that night just to see what might happen. And he said as Dr. Mordecai Ham began to preach, the students didn't show up, by the way, but anyhow, uh, God engineered the circumstances to get a young man, Billy Graham, 16 years of age, invited by a friend who promised he could drive his pickup with a load of people in it if he would go. And he wanted to drive. He was 16 years of age. This pickup load of kids went to the revival services, and they sat in the back. And Billy Graham said as soon as Dr. Mordecai Ham began to preach... He fell under conviction, and he could not figure out how that man knew who he was or why he was preaching to his sin. But he said that man, of course, there's thousands there. He said he would point right at me and say, young man. You know, that's just the way it works. Billy Graham did not make a decision for Christ that night. And even though he was under conviction and really it was not a positive experience in many respects, there was something that could not, he could not stay away and the next night he went back, and the next night he went back. But he got tired of the preacher calling him out, which he thought personally, and calling out his sin and pointing at him. And so he and a, a high school buddy, Grady, um, oh, why am I drawing a blank on his name? Grady Wilson, who ended up serving on Billy Graham's team, uh, two 16-year-old boys, they decided on this strategy. That night they would go and they would sit in the choir and the preacher would not be looking at them and pointing at them. They didn't sing, but they said, we can hold, hold the hymn books and we can sing and move our mouths. And he said that night, when Dr. Mordecai Ham extended the invitation, he doesn't remember what he preached. He said, and we called for the altar call. He said, I came forward. Um... You know what the invitation hymn was that night? Just as I am. And Billy Graham came and he stood, and I know this is a little bit lengthy, but this is the way he describes that night. He said, my heart sank when I looked over at the lady. I'm sorry. This is from his autobiography. These are the words of Billy Graham from his autobiography, Just As I Am. My heart sank when I looked over at the lady standing next to me with tears running down her cheeks. I was not crying I did not feel any special emotion of any kind just then. Maybe I thought I was not supposed to be there. Maybe my good intentions to be a real Christian wouldn't last. Wondering if I was just making a fool of myself, I almost turned around and went back to my seat. But as I stood in the front of the auditorium, a tailor 
named J.D. Prevett, who was a friend of our family with a deep love for souls, stepped up beside me, weeping. Putting his arms around me, he urged me to make my decision. At the same time, in his heavy European accent, he explained God's plan for salvation in a simple way. He goes on and he says, He prayed for me and guided me to pray. I had heard the message and I had felt the inner compulsion to go forward. Now came the moment to commit myself to Christ. Intellectually, I accepted Christ to the extent that I had acknowledged what I knew about him to be true. That was mental assent. Emotionally, I felt I wanted to love him in return for his loving me. But the final issue was whether I would turn myself over to his rule in my life. No bells went off inside me. No signs flashed across the tabernacle ceiling. No physical palpitations made me tremble. I wondered again if I was a hypocrite, not to be weeping or something. I simply felt at peace, quiet, not delirious, happy, and peaceful. He shares later that night, he said, when he went home, he said, Then I went over to my bed and for the first time in my life got down on my knees without being told to do so. I really wanted to talk to God. Lord, I don't know what happened to me tonight. I prayed, you know, and I thank you for the privilege I've had tonight. He goes on, he said, but the hardest question of all remained to be answered. What exactly had happened to me? All I knew was that the world looked different the next morning when I got up to do the milking, eat breakfast, and catch the school bus. There seemed to be a song in my heart. It would take some time before I understood what had happened to me well enough to explain it to anyone else. There were signs, though, that my thinking and direction had changed, that I had truly been converted. To my surprise, church activities that had bored me before seemed interesting all of a sudden. Even Dr. Lindsay's sermons, which I took notes on. The choir sounded better to me. I actually wanted to go to churches often as possible. The Bible, which had been familiar to me almost since infancy, drew me now to find out what it said beside the verses I had memorized through the years. I enjoyed the few minutes I could take when I was by myself each morning and evening for quiet talking to God in prayer. Um, as one of Mr. Ramsey's, who was the man who was leading music at the crusade, as one of Mr. Ramsey's former choir members, I was even singing, I was even singing hymns while I milked the cows. And then he said, in conclusion, he said, I was experiencing what the Apostle Paul had described. The old has gone, the new has come. Billy Graham, as he would preach years later, was born again that night. And God of the universe came to dwell inside of him and uh, filled his life and changed his life. Um, I wanted to read that to you because I want you to understand that when we surrender our lives to Christ, which you will have opportunity to do at the end of this sermon, right here at the front, just as Billy Graham had done and as many in the years of his ministry had done.
have done. That our experience with Jesus Christ begins with surrendering our lives to him and God comes to dwell inside of us to change our life, to give us birth and new life again. He comes to fill us with his spirit. And I want to talk a few moments this morning about being filled with the spirit. I want you to understand today that when we talk about renewal and we talk about what God wants to do in our lives and in our church's life, I want you to understand the spiritual dynamic of what is actually going on in our lives when God lights us up. You know, our theme is Ignite 2018. What are we actually talking about when we say that God's going to light us up, God's going to fire us up, there's going to be a fire burning inside of us? This is what I want you to understand today, that the spiritual dynamic of renewal is simply the filling of the Spirit. That's it. What is it that happens inside of us? What is it that God wants to do? The spiritual dynamic of renewal, revival, is simply the filling of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, uh, I said 19 earlier, 18, I was drawn this week to the words of Paul when he said, but be filled with the Spirit. I want you to see the context I want, you, I want to read verses 15 through 21 and then focus on this morning being filled with the Spirit. Paul writes to the Ephesians, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, I'm sorry, circumspectly or carefully, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Submitting to one another in the fear of God. The challenge, the command of the Apostle Paul to the Ephesians was, but be filled with the Spirit. Um, Wednesday morning, uh, before I came to work, I, I didn't turn on the news or I didn't look at the news on my phone. And I walked in the church office and Jeannie said, have you heard? I said, what? She said, Billy Graham passed away this morning. And I'd started Tuesday afternoon to start on my sermon, but be filled with the Spirit. And I went to my office, and I knew where on my bookshelf the book was, The Holy Spirit by Billy Graham. And I went to the chapter that Billy Graham wrote on being filled with the Spirit and I wanted you to hear his words today on what he says about Ephesians 5, 18. He says, what does the Bible mean when it speaks of the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Let's define the fullness of the Spirit. To be Spirit-filled is to be controlled or dominated by the Spirit's presence and power. 
In Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Here he draws a contrast between two things. A person who is filled with alcohol is controlled or dominated by alcohol. Its presence and power have overridden his normal abilities and actions. It is interesting that we often say someone is, quote-unquote, under the influence of alcohol. Now that is somewhat the meaning of being filled with the Spirit. We are under the influence of the Spirit. Instead of doing things only with our own strength or ability, He empowers us. Instead of doing only what we want to do, He now, we are now guided by Him. Billy Graham writes later, he says, We must conclude that since we are ordered to be filled with the Spirit, we are sinning if we are not filled. And our failure to be filled with the Spirit constitutes one of the greatest sins against the Holy Spirit. It is interesting to note that the command, be filled with the Spirit, actually has the idea of continuously being filled in the original Greek language which Paul used. We are not filled once for all, like a bucket. Instead, we are to be filled constantly. It might be translated, be filled and keep on being filled, or be being filled. He talks about later the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he says, The Bible teaches there is one baptism in the Spirit when we come to faith in Christ. The Bible teaches there are many fillings. In fact, we are to be continuously filled by the Holy Spirit. One baptism, many fillings. There are two words that I want us to understand when we come to Ephesians 5.18, but be filled with the Spirit. And the first one I want to talk about for just a moment is what Dr. Graham would describe in his book that we are to be continuously filled. Um, That verb is present tense, which Paul could have used another word, which would have denoted be filled once for all, but Paul didn't use that word. He used a verb that has continuous action. He says, be being filled, or be filled and continue to be filled. And so there is this uh, sense within the command to be filled that it is It is not a once-for-all occurrence, but it is a continuous uh, challenge and command to the Christian. We are constantly to be being filled. Life is going to to press it down and push out the Spirit in our lives. There has to be always the command. I have to always be filled with the Spirit. I receive the Spirit when I'm saved. That's what happened to Billy Graham that night, 1934. Dr. Mordecai Ham, crusade. God came to fill him with the Holy Spirit. We see this in the life of the early church, and we looked at that last week. Uh, in, in, in Acts chapter 2, that as they were gathered in the, holy room, in, the, in the upper room, the Spirit is poured out upon them, and they receive the Spirit for the first time. And you think, well, they're, they're set. I've received the Spirit, that's that's the fullness of everything that God wants to do in my life, except what we see, that days after that, just days after that, Luke records that they were filled with the Spirit. 
It's not that the Spirit came and left. No, the Spirit comes and sets up residence in our heart, but there are degrees or level of the the Spirit's presence, voice, and power in our lives. And so it says of the apostles, those who were walking with Jesus in in Acts 4, 8, it says that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and then later in that chapter in in Acts 4, hmm, 31, it says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, God comes to take up residence in our hearts. But there is this, and that's not what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 5.18. He says, though, from that time on, we have to continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit because the reality is, that the Spirit, there will be other things in our lives that will take the place of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. There will be other voices that we listen to instead of the voice of the Holy Spirit. There will be other power, our own power, that we will depend upon in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is compressed, or we, 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 uh, we give up space that is rightfully His to other voices and other presence and other powers. And the command of the scripture is that we would be filled. The very command implies that we are not always filled. The presence of God always lives inside of us. In fact, if the spirit of God is not inside of us, we are not a child of God. God desires that we would always be filled with the spirit. Billy Graham said it. We can imply it from this scripture. To not be filled with the spirit is to live in sin. And so we are to be continuously filled with the Spirit. The one other word is what defines being filled is, Billy Graham says, it is being controlled by. I believe it's what we have talked about previous Sundays when I said no the fire must consume us we must be completely controlled or dominated was another word that Billy Graham used we must be completely filled with the presence voice and the power of God in Ephesians 5:18 there's a contrast between getting drunk and being filled with the spirit in many, somewhat, it's a contrast, but it's also a comparison, and Billy Graham bears this out in his commentary. There is a contrast because you see the word but. He says, so do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being drunk with wine, he said, you ought to be filled with the Spirit. So there is a contrast there, but, well, in fact, I, you know, I don't, I'm a preacher. I have a lot of education. Uh, I don't really know what the word dissipation means. You know, I've read that for years, and and I don't. Some of y'all's other translations. What is the other excess? Which is excess? Some maybe the modern, more modern translations use excess. Um. So I did a little word study because if you're gonna preach it, you ought to know what it means. <laughs> dissipation. 
could be translated excess, could also be translated reckless, but it's the word wasteful. In fact, when you do the study on this word dissipation in the sense of wasteful, it is the very same word that is used of the prodigal son when he said he went into the far country and he wasted his living with prodigal, reckless, excessive living. It's the word prodigal. It's, here's the reason I say all that. It's, it's the word of out of control. And do not be drunk with wine, which is out of control. Because what happens? The alcohol controls you. And so it is a contrast, yes, but there's also a comparison, and Billy Graham bears this out. Just as alcohol can possess you and control you, Paul says, but be controlled, filled with, dominated the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control you. Come and not only come to... To res- that the Holy Spirit would come and reside in you, but would come and control you, dominate you, so that you are out of control. It's not me, but it is the Spirit that lives inside of me. Oh, wow. Let me just say this, dear church. I'm afraid what I do in my life And sometimes I assume if the preacher does it in his life, it may be true for a few other people in the room. That I take just enough of God to feel comfortable, but still in control. I don't want to be out of control. It scares me. If there would be something inside of me that would be controlling me, And so sometimes we settle for just enough of God in our lives to give us a little bit of light and a little bit of warmth. But the reality is we are still in control. I'll run my own life. And that's not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about being filled with the Spirit and being out of control. Not my control but God's control. Did you notice in the story of Billy Graham's conversion, and I want to make sure this is clear, when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, not necessarily talking about emotion at all, are we charity? It's not always about emotion. Sometimes the Holy Spirit can tie into our emotion, and that's all right. Billy Graham stood at that altar as a 16-year-old, and he felt guilty because there weren't tears And there wasn't an overwhelming emotional experience. But God was very real. It's not always about the emotion. And what the preacher's talking about, being filled with the Spirit, and I believe what Paul is talking about, being filled with the Spirit, is not about being out of control emotionally or some crazy whatever. No, it's that I have relinquished control of my life to the presence and the voice and the power of holy God and the person of the Holy Spirit. I have 
And here's the word. I've surrendered. I've said it's not about me. It's not about my control. That's what Billy Graham said. He came to the altar that night. He said, I just had one thing left to do. I had to give my life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That was the one step he left. He, he was convicted of his sin, and that's what got him to the front. Don't you love that? I love the story. There was one buddy that invited him to go to the revival initially. Grady Wilson was his buddy that sat with him in the choir who was already a Christian. And he comes to the altar, and Billy Grant said, I almost went back to my seat, but all of a sudden, a hand came. The old man who was the family tailor is standing there just weeping. And he must have seen something that Billy Graham needed to know what to do. And he said, you need to make your decision for Christ right now. And he told him how. And he prayed for him. And then he led him to pray. You wonder why Billy Graham lived all those years and the way he did things. It was marked by his own experience of what happened to him that night at 16 years of age. I love that story of how so many people came alongside of him. And he was, yes, he was God's chosen guy. But it came to a point of surrender. You know, I don't know. I've said this to people in this week that, you know, Billy Graham for us as preachers is kind of like a psychological guilt trip. It's like, oh. You know, you're thinking, my mother's always going to think you were never Billy Graham. You know, you did all right, but you, it's not like you were Billy Graham or anything. You know, and we, that was kind of always the, the bar, the standard. It's like, oh, boy, I feel kind of pitiful about my little life, you know. Watch Billy Graham on TV, and he says as literally hundreds and thousands are coming now, you know. Wow. Uh, would be the accumulation of a whole ministry, 30-plus years for me. One night. Uh, I don't even know what I was talking about there. There was no sense that Billy Graham, the son of Presbyterian milk farmers outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, there was no sense that God would use his life like that. And it doesn't matter, it's not our choice. The choice is, will you surrender? Will you give your life whatever God wants to do with that life? You know, Billy Graham actually tells the story that days before that revival started, there were prayer meetings all around town, and there was a man who came to Mr. Graham, his father's property, and asked if they could have a prayer meeting at his milk farm, the dairy. Billy Graham's father said he went to that prayer meeting and there was a man there that prayed. God, would you raise up a man in these days that would take your gospel into all the world? And his father didn't know the significance of that prayer until years later, and Billy Graham became Billy Graham. But you know, my point is Billy Graham just came as a 16 year old boy, a nobody and surrendered his life for God to do whatever he chose to do with his life. To be filled with the Spirit, 
we have to surrender control of our lives to him. And for him to be partly in control and us in control is is less than being filled with the Spirit, and it is sin. It is when we allow other things to fill us, when we listen to other voices and we depend upon our own power. We settle for a little bit of warmth and a little bit of light, but still maintain control of our lives. When the Holy Spirit fills us, though, he does a work in our lives. I don't have time to talk about it this morning, but in verses 15 through 21, in the surrounding words and thoughts around the second half of 518, he talks about the things that the Holy Spirit does, and you can look at those later. But when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, he fills us with wisdom, verses 15 and 16 and 17. He fills us with holiness. He fills us with joy, with thanksgiving and submission, verse 21. We see in the scripture, and Billy Graham would bear it out in his own life, that it is the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of sin, that speaks to us in that still, small voice, that teaches us the truth of God's Word, that produces fruit, love, joy, peace. It is the Spirit that gives us assurance that we are a child of God. It is the Spirit inside of us that strengthens us and comforts us in times of difficulty. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot live the Christian life. And without the filling of the Holy Spirit, we cannot live the fullness of the Christian life. One last Billy Graham story. I don't know how to describe. Uh, 1954, Billy Graham is scheduled for a crusade in England. They're traveling to England by ship. Okay, 1954. The England crusade will be the event that vaults Billy Graham into the international scene. Uh, The Los Angeles crusade in 1949 Uh, made Billy Graham a household name in America. But 1954, it was the London Crusade. And he talks about the trip over and he says, we sailed for England in 1954 for a crusade that was to last for three months. While on the ship, I experienced a definite sense of oppression. Satan seemed to have assembled a formidable array of his artillery against me. Not only was I oppressed, I was overtaken by a sense of depression accompanied by a frightening feeling of inadequacy for the task that lay ahead. Almost night and day I prayed. I knew in a new way what Paul was telling us when he spoke about praying without ceasing. Then one day, in a prayer meeting, with my wife and colleagues, a break came. As I wept before the Lord, I was filled with deep assurance that power belonged to God He was faithful. 
I had been baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ when I was saved, but I believe God gave me a special anointing on the way to England. From that moment on, I was confident that God, the Holy Spirit, was in control for the task of the 1954 crusade in London. I want you to understand today that the same Holy Spirit that filled and used Billy Graham as he did is the same Holy Spirit that comes to abide and to fill us. Billy Graham didn't have a a different spirit than we have. It is the same spirit. It is an issue of whether we will surrender to the full control of the Holy Spirit. When we surrender our lives to Christ, Christ comes to take over. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. Uh, Here's what Jesus was communicating with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. I, I thought of the scripture. If I think of Billy Graham preaching, I think of him preaching about Nicodemus. You must be born again. Or John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what I think of. And Jesus, Nicodemus, comes at night and said, Master, we we know you must be a teacher of God because you couldn't do the things that you do. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you are born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again. If you're sitting here today, Christianity is not about a religion, living a good life. It only starts when a person is born again by the Spirit of God coming to give life. The first thing the Spirit does after he convicts us of sin is he comes to give us life. That's what Billy Graham experienced. How, do we, how are we born again? The Scripture tells us that in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What is the message of the gospel? This is the message of the gospel. That God is our creator and he made us in his image. And he created all of us as human beings to have a relationship with him. He loves us. But all of us have chosen in our life to live our own life, to make our own choices, just like the first man and woman. The Bible calls it sin, and because of our sin, we're alienated from God. God doesn't leave us us there, though. He pursues us. He'll do anything he has to do to bring us back into fellowship with him. And ultimately, what he did 
was 2,000 years ago he sent his son to pay the penalty for our sin on a cross, to pay for my sins and your sins, your sins of the past, the present, and the future, all of our sins through the sufficiency of Jesus' death on the cross. Jesus proved that he has the power to give us everlasting life by being raised from the dead. Jesus' work was the cross and the resurrection. That's what God did to say, I want to spend eternity with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll send even my son to die, and he will be raised from the dead to prove that he has the power to give you everlasting life. But it comes down to a choice on our part. What must a person do in order to be saved? The Bible teaches us that we must confess that we are sinners. We must agree with God and we must repent of our sins. We must turn away from our sins with our lives. And then we have to surrender our lives to Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what Billy Graham did when he was 16 years of age. Many of you in this room have done. And God comes to live inside of us. We are born again for all of eternity. He gives us everlasting life. If we could ever lose it, it's not everlasting life. It's temporal life. (laughs) No, he came to give us everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Brother Shane's going to come to lead us. I'm going to ask you to stand. I told Shane, I think I texted him Wednesday and I said, invitation hymn. I never tell him what hymn to sing at the invitation. Invitation hymn. We'll sing just as I am. We're going to sing all six verses. We may sing them several times through because they're short I want you to know that if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ today is your day I'll talk with you about it we'll get somebody to pray with you do not let this day pass I'm telling you mark this day it's a significant day Today is the day of salvation. So as we sing, you come forward. Maybe as a Christian, uh, you realize the Holy Spirit has just been kind of dampered in your life. You say, God, I want to know the fullness. You can come to the altar and you can pray. Say, God, I want to surrender it all. God, I want you to fill me with your presence and your voice and your power. God, you use me any way you choose. Whether you need to surrender your life like that or you need to surrender for the first time, this is your time. You come. Brother Shane's going to lead us. Just as I am.